Welcome to episode 13 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. And this is your host, Eric Gall, and I'm excited to bring to you a mini series on housing for people with disabilities. So today is going to be part one of the mini series, and there's going to be six episodes in total for the mini series, and I'm going to space them out a little bit. So it'll be every episode, every other episode or every third episode, uh, we'll be talking about housing. So I don't want to do six episodes in a row and have you get bored of me talking about housing with guests for the next six weeks. So we're going to space them out a little bit. So every other or every third episode, we'll be discussing housing. And housing uh, for people with disability is really a global issue. So I'm going to bring in some global guests and share a global perspective on the problem. As well as exploring the problem globally, it'll help us get an understanding of the different approaches that people are taking around the globe, and it'll give us that perspective from other people as well. So uh, we'll also be sharing success stories from families and and people uh, around the globe. And there will be things that we can learn from each other. So I'm excited to have these conversations and to bring them to you to hopefully help you and your loved one think about what home is for you and to create the best solution for you because there's really no one-size-fits-all with this. So in part one today, uh, we welcome guest Marg McLean. And Marg is the executive director of Community Living St. Mary's, which is in St. Mary's, Ontario. Uh, it's a small town. And Marg has been involved in housing for the better part of 30 years. And in this episode, we talk about the current situation in Ontario, Canada. And uh, really, there's been termed this housing crisis in Ontario, Canada. So we'll uh, talk about that and, and how it relates to people with disabilities. Uh, we'll talk about creating home. And Marg brings in her depth of experience in supporting people with disabilities to create home. And she shares uh, a, a vast number of success stories. So uh, there's some exciting learning that Marg shares with us. And hopefully, uh, it'll help you start to think about what housing means for you and your loved one. And as well, I've created a uh, workbook to help you start to create your vision for what home looks like for for you as a person with a disability or your loved one as a person with a disability. So uh, go on to empoweringability.org and you can download the free giveaway, which is a worksheet to help you create the vision for home and then start to think about uh, what would be needed to put that in place. So I encourage you to uh, to go to empoweringability.org and download that worksheet if this is something that interests you. So we now welcome our guest for this episode, Mark McLean. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Good morning. Thank you, Eric, for uh, having me on. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on the podcast today, Mark. Um, you have a wealth of experience in supporting individuals uh, with disability and uh, especially in the area of housing. So as I understand it, you've been involved with really since the 1980s with helping um, individuals that were coming out of institutions find find homes in the community. So 
Mark, would you be able to maybe tell us uh, a little bit about what individuals should be thinking about uh, when looking or thinking about um, a home or living independently, just drawing on some of your experience? Yeah, that's a a really good question, Eric, because I I think it's really important for individuals and their families to think of all the things that need to be thought about when, when you're thinking about a home. And that can be everything from, you know, what building I want to live in. Is it an apartment in a complex? And even actually before that, which community do I want to live in? So there are, you know, there are many people who have been raised in the country and they may choose country living. But if they choose country living, then there may be some barriers to that, like transportation. There could be some barriers around having other people close by that can help them if they need some help. There could be uh, barriers around snow removal and the cost of doing that and the cost of living rurally. So, so there's a few things. You know, it could be that the person has grown up uh, in a small community and uh, really wants to stay living in a small community, or or perhaps they're interested in what a larger center might offer them with jobs and employment or. Trans- accessible and affordable trans- public transportation and other things. So there's a lot of things to consider. And so the beginning is kind of where do you want to live? And then really around uh, where is kind of what is the kind of place that you want to live in? Some people uh, really do well in an apartment building, for example, because they get to see their neighbors as they come in and out. They build relationships that way and and they really like the idea of not having to do, you know, any outdoor maintenance or any of those kind of things. Other people like to have um, uh, a home where they've got some grass that they can walk on, where perhaps they could have some, you know, flowers or vegetables to grow, where they might have a backyard that they can sit in and feel comfortable and have the privacy of that. So, you know, everybody um, wants a few different things. And then, of course, along with that is, you know, some people choose to and want to uh, live on their own and um, other people really would like to share home with someone. So there's a lot of questions when it comes to thinking about how I want to live, um, especially when I'm leaving my mom and dad's home, you know. And uh, so a lot of those conversations have to happen over time so that people have an opportunity to really uh, think and, and um, you know, think about all the different issues. Uh, housing is, and where where and how you want to live is, is probably one of the most fundamental questions that we need to explore and, and create a vision for ourselves or help our son or daughter or brother or sister create a vision for their for their home. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm thinking through the process that we've gone through with my sister, Sarah, and helping Sarah to think about the questions of, okay, do you want to live in a rural setting or which is a setting she grew up in, in my parents' home Mm -hmm. and still lives in, or, you know, do you want to live in a small town or a city? And she's made the decision that she wants to live in a city because a small city, because that's where a lot of her friends live and she can access transportation and it makes her day activities or, you know, volunteer opportunities, work opportunities more accessible for her. She's not dependent on on others to move around. So those are some of the things that that we considered as a family and, and that some 
some some of the thought behind why Sarah has has made that decision. But like you said, it's kind of it's unique for everybody. Um, and then thinking about the type of home, right? Is it an apartment or a townhouse or a condo or a freehold home, right? And thinking about those considerations. So, so the housing is the one piece of it. And then what other considerations uh, should families be thinking about? Well, I, I think that the support, I mean, if, if a person, if a son or daughter, or sister or brother needs support in order to live well in their home, then that's a big consideration. So, you know, in terms of housing and support, often need to come together at about the same time. They have to be thought of separately, but they also need to come together. So if my son needs support to, you know, making sure he gets up in the morning and doing all those, the things to get ready for his day and then needs help to uh, go to his job or some support to go to, you know, the Y to do his exercise and stuff like that, then those things need to be put in place as well. Um, other issues around around housing might be just around the accessibility and what kind of features um, does a home need to have in order to make uh, it work best for someone and to allow them to grow and learn and be as you know self-sufficient and as uh, independent as as possible. So you mentioned the relationships and where your friends are. So many of us want to live in a community where our friends or our family are because you know that's the base for all of us, right? Uh, relationships are the most important, one of the most important things. But we also have to consider you know the kind of house that we live in and what we need in order to to um, have uh, a, an easy the easiest as possible, I guess, home that works best for us. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So I'm, I'm excited to to get into a few of the stories um, and, and things that you've been involved, people that you've been involved with, with housing and, and to share some of those um, solutions that have been put in place, because I think that'll be of, of great value to, um, to our listeners. There's, there's another topic that I want to touch on first, though. In Ontario, there's a lot of talk around the housing crisis and specifically around disability or developmental disability. And, and it's, it's pretty important for, for a lot of families. So there's something in and around, uh, if I can recall correctly, about 19,000, um, homes that are supported by, uh, government. Uh, funding or uh, people supported by government funding in, in homes in Ontario. And the, the wait list is reported to be around 15,000 individuals right now. So there's a lot more demand than, than supply. From my family's experience with it, it was, you know, our thought was, um, okay, well, there will be, you know, some sort of a, a group home or something like that for, for Sarah to move into. But that, what we found was really not the reality behind it. It's, you know, that wait list is, is more like a, a crisis list. So um, you're essentially, for my sister, my parents would no longer be able to uh, care for her to be able to, you know, be considered for one of those spots just because there's so much demand and so little supply. Um, so what we've come to learn as a family is to take our destiny into our own hands um, and and start to look at, you know, the physical housing piece of it, put our own solution in place. So would you be able to share just a little bit about you know, maybe from from your experience working with with families on maybe a, a best approach to to that? Should families be thinking about 
putting that physical housing in place um, on their own, or should they be looking at you know agencies or, or other government support to to do that? Sure. So you you mentioned the wait list, and so it's just important for listeners to remember that the Developmental Services Ontario um, has a wait list of individuals or families who have put their family member on that wait list without necessarily doing a lot of thinking and talking and planning for what that might look like. So there may be, and I don't know what the provincial wait list is right now for residential services, but what I do know works really well is if people take the time, so families take the time to think about the many, many, many different questions that have to be addressed in order to come up with really a a vision of what would be um, a good home in community for their son or daughter or brother or sister. So taking the time to explore and to meet with other families um, and to to talk with other families about what they've done and what they haven't done and and uh, giving opportunities for their adult child to to um, meet and spend time with other folks so that they can learn more about what that could look like. I think the one of the issues is sometimes families will just have a particular idea in their head of what that might look like. And you mentioned a group home. So you might think because your son or daughter's on a wait list that you know, a group home is the only solution when really it may be the right approach for your son or daughter, but it may be that you want to explore and come up with um, what you think would ideally work. And you do that through conversations with others who have already taken that leap or others who are wanting to to think about that a bit more. So a family-to-family approach is, I think, really, really helpful in doing that. I agree. And and you can also do that by listening to podcasts such as this, right? To to learn about uh, what other individuals and families have done and and also how, you know, agencies are supporting within within that as well. For sure. And so along with that, I guess, having some flexibility is also important, I think, in your in the approach. So I can tell you, we've been involved, as you mentioned, in housing for a long time. I think it was in the early 80s when people were well, being welcomed home from, from institutions that we were looking in our community for affordable and accessible housing. And when we didn't see enough opportunity for people to move back and move back comfortably, then the association did start a separate housing corporation. I think it's important in to know that although we do have a separate housing corporation, most of the people that are supported through community living St. Mary's and area don't live in any of the units that are um, made available through that housing corporation. So, so an agency, you're right, may be able to help you with it, but families and individuals themselves really need to um, think lots about what would work best for them. And then to start learning about, as you said, on this podcast and and other things. Just recently, Community Living St. Mary's developed a little video on housing, and it features the stories of three or four people that that different housing solutions have been been made. And so I can just tell you a story, a little story about um, a fellow named uh, Michael. And uh, Michael's a guy who grew up in the country. And when he got to be in his mid-20s, so high school was finished and he was in his mid-20s and he was really looking for an opportunity to move move out of home. And his family was looking for an opportunity for him to move out as well because they recognized that he 
he needed to to um, to have the same opportunities as his older brother. And so, anyway, they began thinking that um, they needed to think about housing, they needed to think about support, and they needed to think about potential uh, housemates that, that Michael might have. And so, all of that came about with conversations with other families, with, um, uh, at that time, the DSO was not up and running, it was another coordinated access body, and with local service providers like ourselves. What has happened um, is that Michael and his family, his his family bought a duplex in the end in in a city that has some public transportation, and they have in with this duplex. It's in an upper and lower uh, units, and on the main level of the of the duplex is a supportive neighbor or overnight monitor. But they also have developed good relationships and and that uh, so they live on the main level and in the upper level Michael and his um, housemate the fellow he shares home with live upstairs and that has worked so well for many years and Michael's family have been really smart about all of this because they have put it as part of their financial plan for for things for the future for Michael so when the duplexes paid off then the rental income from the um, uh, from the overnight monitor kind of situation or the supportive neighbor situation will will be able to be used to do repairs and maintenance and other enhancements like to his RDSP. So there's it can be a big financial plan as well. Um, the support obviously needs to go along with that. Michael has lived in his home now, I think it's been about eight years, and he's had two different housemates. Uh, and he's had, I think, about three different overnight or supportive neighbor people in the main level of the duplex. So it's worked out really, really well for him that he's had uh, the safety and security of home and also the benefit of having some wonderful neighborly uh, relationships. So that's really uh, a helpful thing. Anyway, as I said, Michael's uh, story is featured in this little short video that we that we've just finished. So Fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that. And, uh, and we'll definitely share that with the Empowering Ability podcast listeners. Um, we'll include that in the show notes of the podcast. So um, I, I love that story in terms of, you know, being able to um, purchase a home that also provides some rental income that helps to maybe pay for some of the supports for that individual or, you know, other maintenance costs, etc., which is great. And the other thing that um, was just announced in the 2017 Ontario budget was that individuals on uh, Ontario Disability Pension, ODSP, are now eligible or are now able to own a, or be gifted a primary uh, residence and it not impact their ODSP. Mm-hmm. So yes, that'll, that'll good help. news. Yeah, so that'll that'll help with... Um, hopefully help help some families with with the housing piece a little bit as well. I think the other thing it will help, sorry, just the budget, the ODSP changes, I think being able to have more uh, liquid assets will also help in terms of knowing that you you have the ability to um, do repairs and maintenance on that house too, because that's another issue that often families will say, gee, I, you know, I'm not interested in my son or daughter owning a home or, or whatever, because um, we're worried about the repairs and maintenance on that home and who will do the grass cutting and the snow removal and all those things. So there are a lot of issues that have to be discussed and figured out um, through home ownership. But um, I think there are about five or six people that we support that either 
they own their own home or their family owns their home and have um, really worked through some of those issues. So the changes, you're right, in the budget, uh, that the, that were in the budget will really help people to make a decision that way uh, if they want. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So it's in the in the budget, it's, I think, $40,000 an individual is able to, to hold without impacting ODSP now. Um our good friend, good friend of the podcast, Helen Reese, was uh, a key player in in helping to to move the the budget in that direction. Um, I think there's a lot of feeling out there that it's not enough, um, but uh, it's definitely a, a step in the right direction. Beats the heck out of five thousand dollars when you can't replace a roof for five thousand dollars. So right. you know, I think it's it is good that way. I, I just want to mention the other thing that some families have been looking at when we start talking repairs and maintenance and sort of home ownership. Families are looking at housing trusts as well. And I think that that's also something, an area that needs to be explored more and uh, made available, really, the information made available to to more families. And that's something that, that we're working on. And it's something that Michael's family is very interested in as well. So um, uh, anyway, it's it's good to meet up with other families who, who want to learn and share, share information. Uh, it's the best way, I think. For sure. Are there some other examples or, or stories that you'd be able to share, Mark, that our listeners um, could get some ideas from on different types of, um, you know, home? Yeah, for sure. I think, I, I guess, you know, people live many different ways. So they might live with a supportive housemate. And I can tell you that for probably about 12 years, no more than that, probably about 16 or 17 years, um, a fellow named Bill that um, that I'm connect we're connected with through Community Living St. Mary's. We provide for his support. Has lived with a supportive housemate, and they've lived in an apartment in a big apartment in a high rise, and and for the last about five or six years, they've lived in a home that um, the housemate actually purchased, and and Bill lives there, and and uh, that works well. So having a supportive housemate is something that um, works real well. Supportive neighbor, and I can tell you a little bit about that um, maybe when we talk perhaps about the Housing Task Force and the Neighborly Homes Project that we're involved in. Um, Certainly cooperative housing uh, with supportive neighbors. And again, uh, for many years, um, a woman, uh, two women actually shared a home in a a housing co-op and their next door neighbor uh, was one of many who, who provided some uh, real neighborly kind of supports, including some overnight monitoring. So that's that's something. Sharing a home is another really good way for people, and that sharing a home uh, could mean living with a family other than your own family. It could mean living with an individual or or a couple. Uh, one story that again is on this little housing video is the story of Gord, and uh, Gord is a fellow that uh, had lived at Midwestern Regional Center for many, many, many years. And when it closed, uh, or as it was closing, and the planning was happening for Gord, um, Gord really didn't wasn't interested, nor was his mom interested in interested in him having a staff model um, place to live. They really were interested more in finding an opportunity for him to live rurally and with a couple or a family. And so anyway, I mean, this was all long time ago, uh, but uh, 19 years have passed and Gord has lived with the same uh, couple uh, in a farm uh, 
a fair distance from St. Mary's, but uh, it's a really wonderful story of sharing, life sharing, really. It's life sharing. And uh, when we hear Gord and Jennifer and Tony talking about um, how that's changed and evolved and, you know, the family that they are, uh, 19 years of, has gone really really quickly so so sharing a home with with someone is is a really great way of of offering an alternative for people to a staff model kind of way of living yeah that's a really interesting model so a question around that so if an individual starts answering the questions on you know what does home look like and they decide that home is looks like living with um, with another family in a family home situation do you have any thoughts on how someone could or how a family could start to look for you know another family that would be interested in that because it's it's a partnership right so how do you have any thoughts around how to find uh, a family or another individual that um, that someone could live with yeah i know that families are talking you know sort of family to family about that um if an agency's involved like with us uh we, uh, when we're helping a person or a family look for that kind of a situation, could just be a, another adult that they're sharing home with in a share your, you know, share your home kind of situation or, or couple or family. We go through fairly, you know, we will do things like, you know, put an ad in the news, local newspaper. Um, we will write a story. We'll ask, usually it's through word of mouth where we have found the most um, share your home kind of situations. It's usually through word of mouth. Somebody knows somebody that is looking for something different. Um, sometimes it's connecting with, you know, just who, who you know really in a particular area and who might be interested. So for a family and how they might go about doing that, I mean, if they're going through an organization, like I said, then, you know, that's that would be our approach, would be asking them who do they know and who can they bring to the table to have a conversation about it. Sometimes it's it's easier for an organization to, to kind of uh, have those conversations than it is for a family to, to have it. The other thing I was just going to say is that in that kind of a setup with a share your home situation, there's a lot of things that we go through, in, including, you know, home checks and criminal record checks and making sure people have adequate insurance and doing all those kind of checks and balances to ensure uh, safety uh, really for the person. And uh, so you would want to think long and hard about setting something like that up unless you know the people really well if you don't have an agency involved. If you have an agency involved, then um, they are they are required to, to do those kind of safety checks. And so it can provide some real great flexibility and, and some really wonderful opportunities for, for life sharing. I think probably some of those folks who are on that wait list at the DSO would enjoy that, that not a staff model as an opportunity if they, if they knew it was even an option. Yeah. And it, it makes a lot of sense. And so I like what you're saying about it. It's about getting the word out that that's something that you're interested in. So through the newspaper, uh, it could be through, like you said, writing a story, doing a, a video, you know, using social media, if you're comfortable putting your, your story out there through, through those, any of those avenues. And then uh, ultimately, from what you're saying, word of mouth has been the most, both successful. So yeah, that's some great tips if, if families are interested in exploring that family home or share your home uh, type model. Eric, can I just, I was just going to say that the other piece of it that happens is there's usually, it's usually beyond a room and 
well, not always, I guess, but sometimes it's just a room and board type situation. But if your family member needs more support than that, then usually there's a, a some kind of a reimbursement for expenses for the person that shares home. So there could be a reimbursement of, of um, you know, some of the time. It, it really depends on the person, uh, what that might look like. And uh, I think that uh, in terms of setting that up, there needs to be a commitment to flexibility and an evaluation kind of of the, you know, how's it going and having those checks and balances always in there. But I do think if, if a person's needing a bit more support, uh, then there has to be some consideration of how that support's provided. And if it's through the, the share your home family, then there has to be some recognition for compensation, I guess, or reimbursement, uh, really. Yeah. And so just to share with our listeners, I live with a with an individual that needs some support in his home. So we live in a, on a, as roommates, we act purely as roommates. So I might help him get his lunch together and, you know, help him with his letting his dog out and, and things like that. But the agreement that we have is we're roommates, we're friends. And, um, the support is, is kept separately. He has organizations like March of Dimes that, that supports him. So that's just the agreement that we have. But like you're saying, Marg, it can, it, it can kind of land anywhere on that spectrum from, you know, fully supporting that person to, to just providing minimal, minimal support and figuring out what works best for those two individuals in that partnership. Yeah. Thank, you know, that's, that's really great to hear you say that, Eric. And I think my main thing with making, with suggesting around the, the amount of support that's required is just that sometimes people say that a person, because of their needs due to their disability or whatever, are not really appropriate. That's, I've heard that before for sharing a home. Um, in that kind of manner. And I guess I would argue that if if a person doesn't want a staff model, then it's important to think about the different ways that that can, can look in a home and, and how that support happens. And so I wouldn't want to squish someone's uh, vision of what they want their home to be like, just because I can't, just because I see, you know, the label or the whatever as being a barrier. So it's, uh, it's important. So let's talk a little bit about the um, housing task force for a minute. So the housing task force is basically a, operates at arm's length from the Ontario government. And their purpose is to find innovative housing solutions that could help to uh, alleviate or solve this, you know, termed housing crisis in, in Ontario. So from my understanding, I think they've been given $3 million over two years. And in the first year, they took on 12, 12 projects. And St. Mary's was one of those projects. Um, so, mm -hmm. Mark, would you be able to tell us a little bit about the, the Neighborly Homes project that you're involved with? with? Yes, for sure. For sure. So, yeah, we really appreciate the opportunity through the Housing Task Force to do our Neighborly Homes. Our project is called Neighborly Homes. And as I said to you, we've been involved in housing and blending housing and, and support and, and really fully exploring what housing or what home can look like with people for a long time. So Neighborly Homes has built on some of the lessons we've learned through the years about what works best for people. 
But our project really involves what has now been really three people. It started off as providing home and alternative for one person, and that was to have a person live in their home and have a supportive neighbor, so neighborly supports available. And in exchange for the neighborly supports, then there would be some uh, rent that would be paid for those folks as well as um, as well as some other things, but not as a totally, uh, you know, neighbors support me and I get everything, but really in a more reciprocal kind of relationship. And so we have, um, we have a, a young woman named Kaylee who, who uh, moved from her mom's home. It was time for Kaylee to move. And she, she already had, while she was living in her mom's home, she was finished school. She had some uh, supports already built into her day so that she could do uh, the things that she needed to do and wanted to do uh, during the day. But she really wanted, and her mom really wanted her to have a home separate from from mom's home. And so Kaylee, through this project, through the Neighborly Supports Project, has been able to rent an apartment. And it was good luck for Kaylee and her mom and, and, and us that we had developed a relationship with a good builder developer in, in the city where Kaylee lives. And uh, he had a, a new eightplex building. And so he showed us, Kaylee's mom and, and Kaylee and us, the two-bedroom apartment that he thought would be, you know, really quite nice for Kaylee and also a three-bedroom apartment that could be very nice for neighborly supports. And so it worked out extremely well in that uh, Kaylee was able to move from her mom's home and we were able to find a supportive neighbor family, so a young couple with a young child, and they have lived very nicely for the last year and a bit in this uh, new uh, eightplex. And there have been many opportunities to meet the other neighbors and spend time, but primarily Kaylee and her, and Kaylee actually didn't see herself living alone either. She wanted to have a, a housemate or an apartment mate. And so she en- ended up inviting um, a woman named uh, Yvonne to to share her apartment with her. And Yvonne is a young woman who, who was also just moving out of her parents' home for the first time. She's a woman who's pretty uh, self-reliant and pretty independent and, and is able to come and go and uh, to her work and out to the farm where her, her parents still live. But the Neighborly Homes uh, project uh, was really um, uh, has been very successful, and I think the lessons that we've learned around that is around really doing the planning and facilitation, and doing a lot of upfront work around expectations and who does what, and and um, you know what you can count on and what you can't count on, and and those kind of things. So developing agreements has been have been really important, and then meeting on a regular basis to 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 um, talk about the you know things when they are going well, and also when there needs to be some tweaks or some other stuff happening. So it's been really an exciting project for us, and we have documented it reasonably well so that we could continue to learn from this. I mentioned that three people really have benefited from the housing, the, the housing project, the Neighborly Homes, because another fellow, so originally the project was just for for one person, but uh, Kaylee and Yvonne have both benefit, as have their supportive uh, neighbors there, Jennifer and her husband, and 
and their little one, but another fellow who uh, is uh, supported by Community Living St. Mary's has also benefited in that he now lives in a home in a in the on the main floor of a duplex, and he has a supportive neighbor who live upstairs, and that too is a young couple with a young child, and they have just Steve and his neighbors have just done so well together, and they. Um, share lots of time together uh, during the afternoons or early evenings, sometimes over dinner, um, always overnight. They provide that overnight uh, support for, for Steve if he needs it. And it's just been a really, really beautiful relationship for them and, and for their families. So not just Steve, but also for his family have been involved with the family who lives upstairs and they they do lots of things together. So it's been really, really nice to see. So, And as I said, we've been learning from that around agreements and when things to be, need to be um, talked about and in place. So that's our housing project and it's been great. Fantastic. So a question that's coming to mind, Mark, from from this from the neighborly homes model that you've developed and and um learned from is that is that a model you, do you think a family could take and and work on implementing on their own with another family or do you think that it's a model where there needs to be um someone to facilitate that that uh arrangement our experience like eric i'd love to say yes just go right for it but our experience has been that having uh facilitation available and involved from the get-go is really important and and it's also an ongoing thing for sure the um questions and the struggles and the whatever have been reduced over time as people have gotten to know each other better and some of those things have been ironed out but um you know, I I do think it takes some intentional work, and that intentional work means having lots of conversations with people about things that, you know, may not seem relevant, and yet they are. And so our experience would say that it's good to have um, some planning and facilitation and facilitation over the long haul to ensure the success, because... Um, you know, I, I, I think we want to make the most successful kind of partnerships wherever we are, but having an outside person outside of the family or outside of the person is, is really important, I think, at times. So the facilitator can often hear the voice or, or speak with, the, you know, speak with Kaylee or hear concerns from her or hear concerns from her mom or hear concerns from the supportive neighbor and can find ways to um, discuss that, have conversations so that things, small things don't blow up into big things because um, that that can happen easily. And uh, so we, we don't want to do that. Uh, life happens to, to every, you know, with everybody. So there are things that we don't expect that will come up and having facilitation in place means that that those issues, as long as there's regular checks in with people and that, that has to be, you know, um, done, uh, as long as there's regular checks in with, with all the parties involved, then they can really prevent bigger issues from coming forward and, and really help to uh, have more successful, successful relationships and successful involvements. So I think facilitation is good. Yeah, yeah, that's important. And I'm glad that you shared drawing on your experience, these 
partnerships and um, housing situations have been more successful with the support of, of facilitation. So, so thank you for sharing that. Mark, it's been a, a pleasure having you on the podcast today, and you've been a wealth of information on, you know, on the topic of housing today and, and to share all of your, uh, not all of your experience, but, you know, some stories from your experience on, on what has worked and uh, to give families some ideas to start to think about and uh, a key message of starting to actively participate as a family thinking about the questions of what does home look like and, and mm. you know where do you want to live and, and what does community look like for that individual and starting to, to think about what that plan looks like and uh, and taking control of that I think that's a really important take home for uh, for families today so if families want to if, if there's an individual or a family listening to this podcast that um, wanted to reach out to you um, Mark, what would be the best way to, to, to do that? Erica, it would be great for families, and I'd welcome that. Um, if they are interested in either calling or emailing, either way is fine with me. And if they don't hear back from me, you know, within the first week, then call me or email me again, because it could be that I have somehow missed it. Technology and me don't always work well, and, and you've, <laughs> you've, you know that already, so... Um, but um, but I would do my best to to at least talk with them about you know and provide any resources that we have. I mean, there's no um, uh, there are no secrets in terms of kind of what's worked and what hasn't worked, and the resources that we that we have available. Uh, we'd be really happy to share with anybody. So okay, fantastic. So I'll include that uh, your your uh, email and phone number um, to get in touch with Community Living St. Mary's in the show notes and also. Community Living St. Mary's put together uh, a handbook on housing. So, um, so I'll include that in the show notes as well. It's a great resource, resource for families to, uh, to help with the planning process. Yes. And just thanks, Eric. That's great because that, that little housing booklet, although it was, it was, uh, completed, it was published we published it <laughs> back in i think 2006 it still has some really good information in it and so it is available on our website and i will also make available that that housing video because i think it tells a story which is kind of good to have out there so anyway thanks very much for the opportunity eric i really appreciate it yeah my pleasure mark we'll talk to you soon a big thank you going out to Marg McLean of Community Living St. Mary's for coming on the podcast today. Make sure to check out the show notes today because I'm going to include the success stories that Marg talked about and, and the video uh, that they've created uh, highlighting those stories. So make sure to uh, check out the show notes uh, or the blog for... Uh, those the link to those videos and uh, you could also check those out at a, on our Facebook page uh, just search empowering ability on Facebook and uh, and you'll see those videos in our feed uh, I also really encourage you to check out our website at empoweringability.org to check out our free workbook to help you create and implement your vision for home uh, designed for people with a disability so check that out completely free uh, just go on there enter your email address and uh, and get that free download. Uh, I also want to thank our listeners that have provided the podcast with a review on iTunes. So your reviews on iTunes mean a lot to me because it gives me feedback on how uh, your 
hearing and what you're getting from the podcast. Uh, so I love the feedback that you're providing me. And also it makes the podcast easier for other people to find. So the more reviews that uh, that we get, the more people benefit from this information. So big thank you goes out to Lacey J. Heels for the five-star review and Amir S1984 for the review. And uh, Amir just shares that Eric is great at providing honest and empowering lessons. So thanks so much, Amir, for, for providing that review. And uh, I'd love it if you provided a review. So just go on to uh, iTunes and, and leave me a review there. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And next week, we have uh, our first guest with actually four people on the podcast. So uh, our friend from episode eight, Danny Steve's Ebby joins us on the podcast as a co-host, and uh, he brought us an interesting story from Listowel, Ontario, and we have Mitch and Mamas, and they're uh, a small local coffee shop in Listowel, uh, started by a mother and son uh, who happens to have a disability. So Mitch and and his mom, uh, Charity, join us on the podcast to share their story, and it's a great tale of entrepreneurship just a community coming together to provide uh, an, an awesome opportunity for uh, a mother and son team to start a small business. And it's a great story of Mitch sharing his gift with the world and really embracing uh, his community and his community really starting to embrace him. So check out that uh, that episode next week. And the week after that, we'll plan on continuing with part two of our uh, six-part series on housing for people with disabilities. So thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.